Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Niners Sports Talk, newly rebranded. My name is Bryson Foster, and I'll be your host. Uh, I'm the sports editor at the Niner Times, student-run newspaper at UNC Charlotte. And today, I'm joined by a good friend of mine. Um, Sam Perry. I'm a staff writer for Bryson. And uh, Sam, thanks for coming on. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's kind of talk about what this podcast is going to be. So we're going to focus on Charlotte Athletics and a little bit of what's going on in the national sports world. And also this show will be uh, interviews with athletes and talking with staff writers to get their opinion on what's going on in the great wide world of sports. So without further ado, let's jump into it and let's talk about Charlotte men's basketball. So let's talk about how we got here. The Charlotte 49ers are 18-14 and 14 overall, 9-11 in conference USA play. Some of the wins that they have are over cross-county rival Davidson. That was at the buzzer. Appalachian State, Boise State, who's in the NCAA tournament, and Detroit Mercy. It's been up and down for the 49ers. They started 9-2, and two, then were 3-8, and eight, then won finally four of their last seven. And the team suffered a loss to Middle Tennessee State University uh, in the CUSA tournament last week. Uh, but the season is not over for the 49ers. They have received an invite to play in the College Basketball Invitational in Daytona Beach on March 18th through the 22nd. Sam, as you know, Western Carolina and Charlotte, that's Charlotte's opening matchup in the tournament, March 18th. That'll be Saturday at 5.30 p.m. Tell us what to expect from this one. Um, I think it's going to be a very evenly matched game with both teams averaging about four points differential. I think a key to Charlotte to win this game is going to be offensive rebounding because if they can do that, they should be able to stay in the game and win it. I definitely agree with you. And you got to look at the play of Bryce Williams and Ali Khalifa. Bryce has been all over the place this year uh, for Charlotte. He does everything. When you watch a Charlotte men's basketball game, man, you look up and Bryce is on the other side of the court. He's all over the place and he does a really good job. He averages a team leading 13.4 points per game and five rebounds. He's won multiple CSA Players of the Week. He's had multiple 30-point performances. And Ali Khalifa, who is the resident big man for the team, 11.9 points per game and a team leading 6.5 rebounds. He's had career highs against WKU and then beat that career high against UTSA. And he's missed games uh, this season due to COVID. But, man, he's been dominant nonetheless. What do you expect from these two uh, in this contest? What do you hope to see? Um, I hope to see Khalifa really – Fight inside. That's something I think he's worked on a lot, and I think he needs to really showcase at this um, tournament. Then Bryce Williams, Coach Sanchez has said, he's their bucket getter. He's who they would rely on in the clutch moments. Yeah, he definitely is uh, the top guy for them. And, you know, it's pretty crazy. Bryce was injured last year, took a year and a half off to rehab that injury, and he's come back and he looks like he hasn't even missed a step. Yeah, it's been really impressive to see him, and a little emotional too with you know, his dad just got announced to being inducted in the Hall of Fame this upcoming year for um, Charlotte, but he sadly passed away. But getting to see him shine on the court with his dad's number in the rafters is really special. Definitely carrying on that family, family legacy for sure, which is always a cool thing to see. You know, the kids of program greats really making their own path, and he's, he's definitely done that. Uh, but going back to the CBI, just a little bit of the bracket. So Indiana State is the one seed. Uh, in the tournament, and they play USC Upstate. You've got Eastern Kentucky and Cleveland State in it, Southern Utah, North Alabama, Duquesne, and Rice, which is the other CUSA team in this tournament. 
Uh, Charlotte has kind of gone back and forth with the Owls. Uh, then you got San Jose State and Southern Indiana. Then you got Tarleton and Radford, and then Charlotte and Western Carolina. Charlotte is the three seed in the CBI against 14 seed Western Carolina. And if the 49ers win, they will get Stetson or Milwaukee on Monday, March 20th. So definitely an exciting time. I mean, any time you get to play in postseason tournaments, that that's pretty cool. Um, Sam, you know, looking at all these potential matchups, uh, is there one that you're really excited to see? For me, I'd love to see Charlotte and Rice meet once again. I think that'd be fun, but I also think if Charlotte and San Jose State play, that'd be a really good matchup, and honestly, I couldn't tell you who would win that game because that'd be a tough one. Yeah, it definitely would be a toss-up for sure. Uh, Sam, actually, you're going to get to go cover this in person. That's definitely got to be exciting. Oh, absolutely. I can't wait to be the third road game I'll get to see for the Niners, and it'll be fun to cover it for everybody. Yeah, for those that don't know, Sam has been all over the place for us. He uh, covers every game in person, and, man, it's going to be a really cool experience, and uh, hopefully Charlotte will win that thing. That would definitely be really cool to see. Absolutely, and I think they got a good shot. Uh, moving on to uh, Charlotte baseball. Uh, last night uh, they played North Carolina at the Hayes. Uh, Charlotte suffered a defeat to North Carolina, who is nationally ranked 16-3. And the 49ers, with that loss, fall to 6-10 and on the season. Now, they have a win over ODU, and they won the series against Ball State, but they have losses to Clemson, UNCW at Atrium Health Ballpark, and Army. Um, Sam, you were at the Carolina game last night. What are your brief thoughts from that contest? Um, I think there's a lot to learn there. It was really just a few innings that really cost them that game. But if they if pitchers can figure it out and the hitters can capitalize on good situations, they should be better moving forward. Yeah, it's definitely been interesting with the pitching staff. You know, like the ERAs have been higher than usual, but they have had a bright spot. Uh, Sam, tell us about that record-breaking uh, performance uh, that happened last Friday against ODU. Yeah, Wyatt Hudipole really shined last Friday. He went the complete game, nine innings. He went 108 pitches, just striking out 17, set a program record. It was really a sensational showing, just really slicing and dicing the batters. And, you know, Wyatt's performance, I think, was really good. It looked like the 49ers were kind of getting back on track on the mound, which is something, in my opinion, that they've struggled with this season. But then last night, you know, uh, 16 runs, you're just not going to win ball games like that. But Carolina's bats were on fire. They ranked number 14 in the country in total home runs. And it's really tough because the uh, long ball is Carolina's bread and butter. Yeah, last night the ball was really flying out of there with the wind and everything. But as um, Coach Woodard said, um, every time his pitchers get to see a lineup like that, they get to improve and they'll be better the next time. I definitely agree with you. When you have stuff like that, it really lights the fire in players. And it's still early in the season. 16 games, we got a lot left for Charlotte baseball. And honestly, I do think this team will hit its stride here soon. And, you know, for most teams, they're still trying to figure it out. 16 games is only a brief uh, part of this long season. But somebody who has come out of the gates really hot, and he was one of the bright spots last night, Cam Fisher, Hit another home run. He's at 10, which is one of the top home run hitters in the country. Um, Sam, t- talk about Cam Fisher. What is going right for him? It seems like every time he gets up to bat, he, he might go uh, over the fence. Yeah, he's definitely one of the scarier hitters in the country right now. 
And ever since the first series, he started off a little slow. They brought him in as a pinch hitter, and ever since then, he's just hit the stride and really scary batter in the face. And what's even crazier is he's only a sophomore, correct? Yep. A long time left, and you're already this good of a hitter. I think Camp Fisher, if he keeps doing what he's doing, he, he's got a good shot to uh, have a long career in the MLB, don't you think? Absolutely. He's got a pretty swing, and he can seize the ball really well. Uh, and then, you know, the supporting cast has also been pretty good for them. Will Butcher, uh, which I just think is a great name uh, as well. And Jake Cunningham's been great. Caden Hobson has been really good for this team. And, and Sam, you know, the expectations were high because they had four players named to the all-conference team. Um, you know, what What are your thoughts on, kind of in my opinion, that, that hitter's row that Charlotte has? Um, they're a scary lineup. Sometimes they – can't seem to piece it together to, in the same inning, but when they ever figure that out and get it to clicking, they're going to be really scary. And as Coach Woodard said last night, it's a new season starting this weekend with conference play coming up. It definitely is. I mean, and the bats have been really good for Charlotte. Uh, Ten runs against ODU last week. They had nine in that loss to UNCW. They had 11 against number 11 Virginia Tech uh, on March 3rd. They had 13 against UNC Asheville, 11 against Army. In one of their games, 19 against Ball State. So this team definitely puts it together. You know, and, and you look at all these hitters, so many are doing really well for Charlotte. Cam Fisher, 368. That is incredible. That's a whopping batting average. Uh, Will Butcher, 294. Uh, Brandon Stallman has, is batting 293. Caden Hobson at 277. So these guys really know how to connect and, and get hits. And I think that's definitely a, been a bright spot for them. Um, and that's something that I think they're going to have to continue in the conference play. And I think that, you know, they have the talent to do so. Sam, do you have any improvements that this team can make? Or what are they doing really well that you hope to see them continue to do uh, when they get in the conference play? Um, I hope the offense can stay hot. They've been really good all season. And there's been some good individual pitching performances. They just need to be able to piece it together for a full game and help get a win. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And I think, uh, too, there's some exciting matchups in conference play for Charlotte. One that me and you really are excited about is that Dallas Baptist series, March 24th through the 26th. Uh, you know, Charlotte's got a little bit more stiff competition than the USA, but definitely knowing Coach Woodard and that team, they invite that competition. They like to, to play with the best. Yeah, you can look at that. their out-of-conference schedule this year. It's really tough. They're looking to face the best of the best to prove themselves. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Now, from one side of the street at Robert Marion Hayes Stadium to Sue M. Doctor Stadium, let's talk about Charlotte softball, who, man, you know, they, they really put it together. They have some big wins this season. Charlotte softball is 12-10, and 2-1 and one in this USA, two wins over FIU this weekend. Let's just recap some of their big wins. South Carolina, number 10, Georgia, Georgia Tech, and number 23, Arizona State. I mean, good night. Those are some really Really good wins uh, for this team. And, you know, this is the program Ashley Chastain wants to build. Uh, she's always talked about every time I've spoken with her, you know, we want to bring in the best because we want to be the best. And I, I definitely agree with her on that. Last night, though, big win for Charlotte softball. They beat Louisville at home 10-2, to 11 hits for the 49ers, 7 for the Cardinals. And honestly, it was just a really, really good showing. Uh, Ashley Washington homered. Uh, to center field to start things off in the third, made it 2-0 Charlotte. Louisville battled back in the fourth uh, when Hurst singled to center, center field. 
make it two to one. But Madeline Wright answered back in the bottom to make it four to one. And honestly, it was uh, all Charlotte the rest of the way. Uh, they had a two-run RBI single up the middle from Anna Devereaux make it 6-2, to two. then Lexi Winter single to make it 9-2, to two. and then uh, Devereaux again, 10-2. to two. Really, really solid win against an ACC program. Sam, what do wins like this do for the confidence of a team? It um, skyrockets it. That was a complete game. It's something you actually want to see from the baseball team, too, getting the pitching to come together when you need it and the hitting coming together. But softball yesterday, they made the pitches when they needed to and they capitalize on their scoring opportunities. And, too, you know, Sam Gress has been great. Six innings pitched, seven hits given up yesterday, but she went the whole game. She's 7-4 and four on the season, and uh, she's one of those transfers that you really like to see get going. And the thing is, 10-2, to I mean, this is a win that is really good against a good Power 5 ACC program. And they definitely, you know, like you said, that confidence, they're going to need it because they've got Clemson tonight. Virginia Tech on March 22nd, and they beat the Hokies last year at Suem, and they beat them pretty big. That was the biggest win in program history. Virginia Tech was number six. And then uh, in a month's time, they have North Carolina at UNC on April 26th. So I would say this, it feels like Charlotte's almost an honorary ACC team with all these ACC matchups, including Louisville that they beat last night. Uh, so let's look at some of the star performances uh, for this team so far. Bailey Vinoy has just been unreal, and she's been that way her whole career. Um, and she has a Team USA tryout actually coming up for the softball. She's an All American candidate. Uh, she's won CUSA Player of the Week already. And uh, just some of her stats she's batting 306 with seven homers, 17 ribbies. Uh, man, that's really good to see. And then Cassidy Krupp, it's been great as well. Transfer um, from South Carolina and Baylor. Uh, she leads the team with a whopping 366 average. And one CUSA Player of the Week her first week out um, as well. And then we talked about that pitching staff with Sam. And then let's talk about Lena Elkins, who had a no-hitter um, against St. John's. And she won CUSA Player of the Week. This team has really played well. Um, and for me, I think the pitching has been a strength, uh, you know, and I think, Sam, you know, I mean, you're a baseball fanatic. You know that if you can keep it in the yard and pitch well, you're going to have a good shot to win, and that winning pers- the chance of winning is, goes way up. Um, I think that as well, and the bats have been been really hot for this team. And what's scary is, you know, Bailey Vinoy hit a home run in the student home run derby out of the haze. And so, I mean, if she's hitting it out of there, she can really go yard at, at any ballpark she's at, wouldn't you say? Yeah, she's a very impressive hitter. And I think this is a team that really shows when a good mix of transfers and homegrown players that play really well. And as you talked about the pitching staff, pitching is what wins you championships. Hitters can keep you in the game and score, but pitching has to shut down the door. I, I definitely agree with you, and I think, too, they have such a good, you know, like you said, that kind of mesh of players. And you got players like, you know, Corey Hoffler, who's been here for a long time and has played well. Ashley Washington's been here. She knows what's asked of her. Boo knows what's asked of her. Uh, and these players are just just really, really fun to watch. And, uh, you know, too, they just got that new scoreboard out there at the softball stadium, which is really cool to see how the softball program is growing I think uh, Ashley Chastain has really been the architect behind it all. Yeah, she's really turned that program around and is really heading in the right direction. 
I definitely, definitely agree with you. Well, like we just mentioned, big matchup tonight. Uh, number four, Clemson, which we already talked about. Number six of Virginia Tech, that was the biggest win. Charlotte could be on the cusp of the biggest win in program history. Uh, the Tigers, man, they're no joke, though. Number four in the nation is pretty good. And this softball program for Clemson is still rather young. Um, and so it's crazy to see they're number four. They've got a long way to go. Sam, I'll give you the floor first. You got any predictions for tonight's game? Um, I think if the pitching can stay consistent the way it's been, it'll be a close game. But I think Charlotte can pull it out and get the upset. I agree with you as well. For me, I think that they'll probably win, let's say, 6-4. to four. It'll be close, but I think Bailey Vinoy, like we talked about, she gets up, she's probably going to go yard. And I think that in this game, you know, against Clemson, it's a big game. Spotlight's going to be bright. And every time Charlotte needs something, Bailey Vinoy steps up, and I think that's what's going to happen. I think Charlotte will win tonight, and they'll improve to 13-10. and 10. And Man, they got a long slate ahead of them, but the momentum could continue to grow and – this team's definitely got a good shot to make the NCAA tournament if they keep it up. Yep. I'm going to go 4-3 to three in the game tonight. It's going to be a nail-biter. I don't think it's going to be a barn burner at all. I think it's definitely going to be really close down to the final out for sure. So uh, that's all uh, uh, what's going on in Charlotte Athletics. Let's kind of move to March Madness, which to me is the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, we're not going to go over all the brackets, but we're going to go over some major seeds. So the top seeds, Houston is the number one seed in the Midwest. Alabama is the number one overall seed in the South. Kansas is the number one seed in the West. And Purdue, the Big Ten champs, are the number one seed in the East. Sam, what do you think about these number one seeds, and how many of them do you think will be left standing when we get to Final Four time? Um, I think there might only be one left. There's a lot of flaws with some of these number ones. Some of them are young. Some of them off-court issues. And I think Houston will be the only one left standing when it comes to the Final Four. That's really interesting. For me, I, I think Kansas will be the one. But I know that that might sound like, oh, my goodness, they're saying number one seeds might not make it. But honestly, anything can happen in March. Um, but let's kind of break down the bracket here in the South. So the number two seed is the Arizona Wildcats. They have a contest against Princeton. Number three is Baylor. They have a contest against UCSB. And then Virginia has Furman. Virginia is the fourth seed. Uh, Sam, some other intriguing seeds in this is Maryland. Maryland is a number eight seed, but they have a former Charlotte 49er on that team that's really shown up and showed out this year. Yeah, he's been really great for Maryland this season. Jameer Young, you know, he was great for the Niners. He's doing great now. But I don't know if I can trust a Big Ten team in the in the NCAA tournament. They always seem to show up small when it counts. I definitely agree with you. Jameer Young has been great. I mean, if you go on Instagram and go to Maryland basketball's Instagram, you see tons of highlights of Jameer Young. They got a big contest against a rival in West Virginia who was an, who's a nine seed there. So that one, I think, is one of the more intriguing matchups. I think both of those teams match up really well. And, man, who knows who's going to come out of that. In my bracket, I had Maryland winning. Um, to have that date with uh, the Crimson Tide. But we'll see where that goes. And another intriguing seed is College or Charleston, who's a number 12. But just a little tidbit about them, they're 31-3. and three. They were nationally ranked for a long time. And they've got San Diego State, which I think is a really good matchup between two mid-majors. San Diego State's the five there. Um, and in my bracket, I have College of Charleston going to the Sweet 16. Sam, what are your thoughts on the Cougars and, and all that they're doing down there? 
I think they're playing really well. It's going to be a really tough matchup. I also have them winning. But you know it's March. You never know how these games are going to go. Yeah, and I think uh, for a lot of people, they think College Charleston is underseeded. And I would agree with that. Um, you know, they've had some really good games. And that win against UNCW really shows the character of this team. They were down big with not much to go. And they ended up turning it around, turning it up. College Charleston is definitely a team to watch. And that matchup's going to be cool. I'm definitely going to have that one on my TV. I don't know about you. Absolutely. Uh, let's move to the East bracket where Purdue is the number one seed. Number two is Marquette. Man, what a job Shaka Smart has done there. Uh, for the Golden Eagles. And they've got Vermont, the 15 seed. Got Kansas State, who's the three again. First-year coach there. Excellent job. They've got number 14, Montana State. And then Tennessee's got the four seed against Louisiana. Um, and then some other intriguing seeds. Duke is on that five line, which to me they were underseeded, the ACC champs who have really caught fire. I know you might not agree with me on that. Uh, but I remember reading a stat. They haven't been lower than the four seed since like the 80s which is unbelievable. They play Oral Roberts, who's a good team. Sam, what are your thoughts on the Blue Devils and kind of this matchup against Oral Roberts that could go either way? Yeah, I think seeing them as a number five seed is really weird, but new era, no more Coach K. It's what happens. And they've been hot, but I don't know. Oral Roberts is a really good team. I could see Oral Roberts upsetting them, or they could stay on fire and keep going deep in the tournament. That's definitely one of those matchups that's up in the air. It's a toss-up because they've got Amos, who's back for Oral Roberts, who was there on their run to the Sweet 16 a couple years ago. Um, in my bracket, we'll talk about more about it, but I have Duke going pretty far as well. Number nine seed in that bracket, another intriguing one, Florida Atlantic, who is a uh, CUSA team, the CUSA champs, 31-3. and That's why they're ranked so high in this tournament. They were nationally ranked for a while, and they've got Memphis. Penny Hardaway's really got the Tigers playing well. Uh, I think this game is really going to be fun to watch, wouldn't you say? Yeah, this is my marquee matchup of the first round because I have no idea who's going to win it, and I think whoever wins this will do a good game in the next round too. For me, I would love to see FAU win because they have a seven-foot center. FAU does. Well, Purdue's got Zach Eady, who is seven-foot. I want to see that matchup. I think the Owls are a team that people – Kind of a dark horse to go far. Same with the Tigers. And it's one of those matchups where, for me, I would love to see both teams win. Uh, but that's going to be really fun to watch. FAU, the CUSA champs, uh, got, got, a lot on, got a lot on the line there. Let's move to the West. Kansas is the one. Sam, your boys are number two, the UCLA Bruins. They've got a matchup with UNC Asheville, who's a good team. Uh, but I think UCLA's size and their speed, really, Tiger Campbell's so quick. Uh, if you blink, he's already on the other end of the court. Then you got the three seed. You got Gonzaga. They're playing the 14 Grand Canyon. And then the four seed is UConn, and they play Rick Pitino's I Iona squad. Sam, let's talk about an intriguing matchup between the two and the three that could happen. UCLA and Gonzaga. Last time they met, Final Four, Gonzaga hits a half-court buzzer beater to win. I know for you as a Bruins fan, that has to leave a bad taste in your mouth. But for me, that's going to be a really good matchup to see. And I think UCLA might get Gonzaga. They're they're a different squad than they were then. Yeah, UCLA's been really excellent this season. I think the only issue is Jalen Clark being out defensively. They're going to have struggles there. But I think Mick Cronin really has the whole team buying into his defensive style that he brought from Cincinnati. I think they can beat Gonzaga. And you know me, I like Mick Cronin because he is a former Bearcat uh, as well. But some other intriguing seeds, Boise State is a number 10. 
What's interesting about them? Charlotte beat them in the Myrtle Beach Invitational. They play Northwestern. VCU uh, is a number 12 seed against a very good number 5 seeded St. Mary's team. Another matchup then go up in the air. VCU ran through the A-10 tournament. And honestly, VCU might go far on this one. Yeah, I agree there. I have them going pretty far in my bracket. Yep, and then uh, I think it's just going to be really fun. There's a lot of good matchups this year, and I think that really shows the parity in college athletics for sure. And then the last bracket we'll quickly go through is the Midwest, where Houston is number one. Number two is Texas. They got number 15, Colgate. Number three is Xavier, and they have the 14 seed, Kennesaw State, and Indiana's the four, and they have Kent State um, there as the 13. Other intriguing seeds, Miami is a number five, and they've got number 12, Drake. A lot of people have Miami going far, but Drake is another team people think that, man, they're a dark horse as well. Um, so what what are your thoughts on that matchup? I'm a big fan of the uh, Hurricanes with Colton Wong, I think. I think they're a good squad. Yeah, I think Miami will have a tough one there, but I think they'll pull it out. I think this is the region I think will have the most upsets because there's some really good matchups in this region. I, I definitely agree with you. And then Texas A&M who it was a runner-up in the SEC, who's number seven, in my opinion, criminally underseeded. But they've got number 10, Penn State, who really put it together in the Big Ten tournament and almost, almost beat Purdue there. Um, there's just really good matchups. I think this one is, is one of the better ones. Both teams match up really well. Penn State can slow things down. A&M is quick. They've got good shooters. Uh, and they have a win over Alabama. Yeah, I think Penn State might take this one. It's going to be a tough one. Penn State's on fire right now, and I think when it comes to tournament, if you can slow it down and control the pace your way, you'll win the game. I definitely agree with you. So, Sam, give me your final four picks. I have Marquette versus Arizona, and then I've got UCLA versus Houston. And so who do you got in the title game? I want a rematch for the Pac-12 championship. I'm going UCLA and Arizona. I'm sure you got the Bruins winning it, correct? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't expect anything less for me. Uh, my dog is not in the fight. I'm a Carolina fan. Not a good season. But for me, I have Duke and Arizona in the Final Four. And I have Kansas and, surprisingly, Texas A&M in my Final Four. And then out of that, I have Kansas beating A&M, Duke beating Arizona, Kansas wins the national title there. And I think they're going to do it for Coach Self, who has been hurt, and he's coming back. He had surgery. Um, so that's kind of March Madness. It'll be fun. We'll continue to update this as the weeks go by. After Sunday, we will know who is going to be the Sweet 16. Let's get into NFL free agency. Uh, it has been a really wacky start here, and there's still a lot to go down. Uh, Sam, who's your winner? Who do you think your loser is? For me, my winner is the Carolina Panthers. They got Von Bell, uh, Tuttle, who's a good player from the Saints. They also picked up Andy Dalton, who I think even though he won't be a starter, he's going to be a good backup for them. Uh, who's your winner from free agency? I'm going to be the other side of the coin with the Bears because they got a lot for that first pick from the Panthers. Adding DJ Moore for Justin Fields is vital. And when you saw the Bears last year, Fields was kind of having to run around because the offensive line collapsed. So Nate Davis yesterday, that was a big pickup for them. And then Tremaine Edmonds on the defensive side, they're just filling all their holes. I definitely agree with you. And the Bears really needed some offensive line help. Um, and then they got DJ Moore in that trade with the Panthers, which we'll talk more about. Who's your loser? Who do you got that has really struggled in free agency that needs to pick it up if, if they want to have a good period? 
Um, I've got the Rams because they haven't added anything, and they really let Jalen Ramsey go for nothing mm-hmm. in that trade to Miami. But then Bobby Wagner and Levante David, they literally released for nothing. So they lost a lot. They haven't gained anything yet. Yeah, and for me, it's got to be the Raiders, uh, especially after yesterday where they traded Darren Waller for nothing. Number 100 pick. That's just not good. They picked up Jacoby Myers but underpaid him drastically. And then they picked up Jimmy G, which is interesting. I know that it's a mixed bag on Jimmy G. And I guess this goes into our next section about kind of the weird moves. Waller to the Giants for almost nothing. Jimmy G is a Raider. And then Aaron Rodgers might go to the Jets, but we don't know yet. But he's given them a list of demands. He wants Randall Cobb, Mercedes Lewis, Alan Lazard, who they signed yesterday, and Odell Beckham. Sam, what do you make of these three kind of wacky moves and wacky situations? Uh, looks like he's trying to set up his own retirement home with some of his favorite players over the years in New York. I think I had to bring Jordy Nelson back, don't you think? It wouldn't surprise me at this rate with Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I think those three moves, I'm not a fan of the Waller one at all. I think Rodgers to the Jets is just interesting. You think the Jets would learn because they already have gotten a former Packers quarterback to play for them in Brett Favre, and that didn't really work out. Uh, so, you know, that's that's really kind of a weird thing, and then um, we'll just see where that goes. But some good moves, I think for me, Jacoby Myers to the Raiders, even though they underpaid him. Jacoby Myers is a really good receiver, and a lot of people were vying for him. Uh, and then for me, two other good ones are Jesse Bates to the Falcons and Von Bell to the Panthers, which pains me as a Bengals fan to say that. But I really do think Bates to the Falcons helps them kind of with their defense there, kind of hammers it down a little bit more. And Von Bell is just, he's all over the field. He's a really good player. Sam, out of those three, which one do you think is the best move? Uh, I think the Jacoby Myers one's very intriguing because I think they've signed Jimmy Garoppolo to be almost a bridge quarterback. And Myers is one of those few wide receivers that doesn't really have a diva-ness to him. And I think that's good if you draft a rookie quarterback that you want to develop to have a wide receiver he can trust like that. I definitely agree with you. I think it's just a really good move for them because uh, they have a rookie. They need a Mr. Reliable kind of receiver. And Jacoby can go out and do that. He's just improved every single year um, that he's really played. And I think, you know, offensively, that's got to be one of the better moves so far. We'll see where everything else goes because today is officially the start, although people have already made verbal commitments and stuff. People sign their contracts today. But let's talk about some trades that have happened the last couple weeks. Two big defensive trades, Jalen Ramsey, like you mentioned, to the Dolphins. What are your thoughts on that move? Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Jalen Ramsey, but he definitely can go and he's definitely a good player. What do you think that does for the Dolphins? I think that gives them a really good corners because between him and Xavier Howard, they're going to be really good in the backfield. And they're really trying to fight with the Bills for that division. But if the Jets had Rodgers, who knows who's going to win that division. I definitely agree with you. And then another deal was Stephon Gilmore to the Cowboys, which the Cowboys kind of wanted Darius Slay. They called the Eagles about that. But the Eagles, I don't think they want to give up Slay, especially to a rival, an arch rival who they hate. Um, but Gilmore, I think, is a good player. I think he's still got a couple more years left. And then they brought back uh, Light and Vanderesk, which I think is a really good signing for the Cowboys. They're really getting that defense built up. But I, I'm, I'm going to say this. They continue to make defensive signings, but I think they have to handle the QB situation there 
I don't know. What are your thoughts on on their defensive moves? And do you think that's really going to help the Cowboys if their offense can't get it going? I think they're making moves for something that's not a problem. The defense was not the problem last year. Offensively, they can't seem to figure it out. And I think the huge contract they gave to Dak Prescott's really hindering them. I definitely do agree with you, and I think that is the problem when you have these franchise QBs sort of say is that they're going to want a lot of money. Well, you might put yourself in a bad situation uh, where you can't pick up uh, role players to put around them to make the team really good. And I think for a lot of teams coming up, that's really going to be an issue. The Bengals are one that comes to mind with Burrow. He's talking about, you know, redoing his contract so they can sign other people. But really, uh, I think that's the Cowboys' issue right now. But I don't think defense was their big issue. You look at that game they lost to the 49ers in the playoffs. They only gave up 19 points, right? I mean, not many um, at all. So, uh, And then really the big trade was the Carolina Panthers trading for the number one pick in the draft with the Bears. But they gave up D.J. Moore and like four or five picks. Sam, do you think it was worth it? Because we don't really know if these quarterbacks are proven Stroud or Young. Yeah, but I think when you've been in the Panthers situation going through the Teddy Bridgewaters, the Baker Mayfields, the Sam Darnolds, you just want to find somebody you can trust and build up as a quarterback, be your franchise guy. You don't want to be in quarterback purgatory forever. Fan base is killing you at your quarterback position. You need to do something. I think it's not that bad of a move. I agree with you, and I like rebuilds that you just burn it all to the ground. I think that's what the Panthers needed to do. As much as people are going to be upset about DJ Moore, you've got to get a quarterback. That's probably the most needed position. It's the hardest to replace. It's the hardest to find. And I think if it's Stroud or Bryce Young, I think that's who they have to pick. But I've seen some reports they want to go with Anthony Richardson, which I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't think Anthony Richardson's the guy you draft number one. I could see him going to the Raiders because they've got Garoppolo to fill the gap because he's going to need some work. But I think Stroud's Stroud's my number one pick, if you ask me, because he's got the size and the accuracy. I've always kind of felt like, oh, Bryce Young's going to go number one. But the more you look at it and the more you read into it, I think C.J. Stroud's the guy. And size-wise, he's not as big of a uh, concern as as Bryce Young is. Um, But I think it's really interesting and good for the Panthers. Fans have really been talking about we need to make these moves, and they finally got what they needed, and hopefully they get their franchise guy out of it. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. Sam, thank you so much for stopping by and doing this. This was definitely a lot of fun. It's always good to talk ball with you. Thanks for having me, Bryson. It was a lot of fun. All right, ladies and gentlemen, well, that will wrap up our episode of the Niner Sports Talk. We'll see you next week.